Let us ask for a uh, blessing on the word read and spoken. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning and we ask, Lord, that you will open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds, that we may partake of your word and go from this place enriched and challenged. We ask in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I uh, have to comment. I've been challenged to read through the Bible in a year. I don't think I've ever been challenged to read through the Bible in one, uh, in one church service, but it looks like <laughs> we're going to try to do that. Genesis chapter 3, starting at, uh, at the beginning, as we should. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 on page 6, starting at verse 22. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Turning now to the New Testament, page 1612, Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And now to Revelation, chapter 22, on page 1938. Revelation 22, 1 to 5, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, 
for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, not only are we going to go read through the whole Bible, we're also going to preach for the whole, through the whole Bible, so sit back and <laughs> we'll be here for a while. Not really. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I was a child at home, we had a children's Bible. And that children's Bible, of course, like any children's Bible, has pictures in it. And some of my favorite pictures were David and Goliath. Here's this giant, and next to it is David, ready with a slingshot, ready to whip that slingshot with its stone towards the Goliath. And of course, we know that Goliath <coughs> fell down. <coughs> There's another picture that kind of stands out in my mind, and that is the picture of Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden. And if you were to Google it, and I don't suggest you do that right now, but if you were to Google it, then you see a picture that I also saw in the children's Bible. You see a couple kind of hunkered down and walking out of the garden, and there's a total sense of bewilderment on their faces. There's a sense of what just happened to us. What just went on that we are here in this predicament? And behind them there is that angel of the Lord standing there with that huge sword with a flame on top of that sword a flaming sword preventing Adam and Eve supposedly from returning into the garden. And imagine what they must have gone through. As I mentioned already, there was a sense of bewilderment. There was a sense of a look of what just happened. And that's how also the painters throughout church history have painted them. Imagine from the comfort and the security of the garden where they would talk to God in the evening and they had their work to do, all of a sudden they are banished. And so this sense of total bewilderment is on their faces. But there's also a sense of fear. What will happen in the future? What are we to do? Where are we to go? We have no idea because the future is uncertain. I suggest to you there are three things that are happening to Adam and Eve, and those three things are still relevant for us today because in some way or other we are touched by the same things. One is, I'm sure there was a real sense of guilt. They have been expelled from the Garden of Eden because they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God had pronounced judgment upon them. And so I'm sure there was a sense of saying, we did wrong. We did wrong. Later on, it would be described as sin. 
And there are people in the world, perhaps, or some here, who are really burdened by that sense of sin and that sense of guilt. They go through life and, you know, there's never any sense of joy, there's never any sense of peace, because the guilt weighs them down so heavily. As a matter of fact, some Christians even fear to go to the Lord's Supper. Am I worthy enough to eat and partake of the bread and the wine? Can God's grace and His mercy cover all my sins, whatever they might have been, and whatever they are? So Adam and Eve, I'm sure, had a sense of guilt. And maybe that's where you get touched in your life by the sense of guilt that you carry on with each and every day and it robs you of joy, it robs you of gratitude. Or perhaps there's a sense of restlessness. That's what Adam and Eve experienced, I'm sure. They, they all of a sudden says, what do we do now? Where do we go? And there are many people who are restless in today's world. Studies show that church attendance is down, but it does not mean that people are not spiritual. They are searching, they are looking for something because they realize that without an anchor in their life, without something to hang on to, they are adrift. They are going through the motions, they're going through the actions, but there is no meaning, there is no purpose in in it, and so people are searching, searching for some hope, for some anchor, for some point of reference from which they can say, this is the point in which I build my life. This is the anchor which secures me in the storms of life. Maybe that's where the story touches you. That in a sense, you're restless, you're, you're not sure what's happening. You're wondering, should I commit myself to the Lord? Should I serve the Lord? And again, as I mentioned, there are many people in today's world who are touched by that. Or perhaps you are embarrassed. Studies have shown that in terms of evangelism outreach, it doesn't make a lot of sense to talk about sin nowadays. Because people don't connect with that. I'm reminded of a time that a colleague and of mine were having lunch, and my colleague asked the waitress, this was a few years ago, perhaps one wouldn't do it so quickly now, but he asked, do you go to church? She says, oh no, I haven't been bad for quite a while. But many people can connect with a sense of shame. They recognize and they acknowledge that they are not who they would like to be. And there's that gnawing feeling inside which we can even hide from others. And we can say, you know, this is who I would like to be, but I know inside I am different. And I'm sure Adam and Eve experienced that. They wish they could have undone what they had done. And I'm sure there was a sense of regret. But the fact is, they have to go on. Maybe that's where this story touches you. 
As a matter of fact, St. Augustine said many, many years later, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. It's the nature of a human being to want to have hope, security, and a point of reference from which to look at the world themselves and other people. And this was the story of Adam and Eve. This is the story of our lives. And that's how it kind of continued in the Old Testament in a sense that that's what it was. And God comes and brings salvation. God comes and restores things. But this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes writes, you know. There's a time for dying. There's a time for living. There's a time for crying. There's a time for laughter. And we kind of said, you know, it's so pessimistic because it seems we are on a merry-go-round. And that all we do is get up in the morning, go to work, come home, spend time with the kids, and we do it all over again the following day. And there seems to be a rhythm to life of death and dying, of laughter and pain. And there's almost a pessimistic, and we kind of say, well, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he looked at life and says he was just a spoiled sport. Or even some of the other Proverbs. There was a sense of heaviness about serving God. And we know that too. Because when the time of Jesus comes, Jesus says, you have been given a heavy burden to carry. A burden of trying to fulfill the law of God. A burden of trying to fulfill God's demands. And of course their history was they went to Egypt, and they wondered, is God with us? Then they come out of Egypt, and then many, many years later, because of their disobedience, they get shipped off to Babylon, and so their history was a sense of, this is what it is, and what can you do about it? There was a sense of going on and on and on, without ever a sense of a perspective on the future, except they knew that when the Messiah would come, things would change, and then God would usher in his kingdom. We go to the next passage, and there's a question raised, which is an interesting question. A Jewish leader, a lawyer, comes up to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Where did that come from? Because you see, the only reference in the Old Testament to anything beyond the grave was perhaps from David in one of the Psalms says, You will not allow my soul to stay in Sheol, which was the place of the dead. And all of a sudden, in the time of Jesus, the issue of the afterlife comes to the foreground. And the issue of what happens after we die begins to take focus. As a matter of fact, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So it wasn't as if all these Jewish people at the time of Jesus believed in an afterlife. The Jewish people became aware of an afterlife really interestingly through their captivity in Babylon where they heard it from the Persians. And they're thought to think about, isn't it? Sometimes the world tells the church where things are at. But nevertheless, there is that issue now, what must we do to gain eternal life? 
What must we do to inherit eternal life so that we may live joyously, that we may live before the face of the Lord? And Jesus answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if we are to live before the Lord, then we must all follow the way the Lord wants us to live. But that sounds so Old Testament-like again, isn't it? What do you mean we have to follow? Is there another sense of duty and obligation? Is there another sense of this is what we got to do and, and we fall short and then we simply fall by the wayside? Well, John in his gospel writes, to have eternal life is to know God. Eternal life is to know God. Notice what John does in his gospel. He doesn't say eternal life is what happens after death. But eternal life is to know God because when we are born again, as he says in John chapter 3, we are new creatures, and that's what we read about in his epistle. We are God's people and God's children now. We're not just a bunch of creatures. We're not just a bunch of human beings here. We, through the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we are God's family. That's what eternal life is all about because Jesus says eternal life is not just the, first of all, a concern of old people who say, well, you know, my life is coming to an end and I'm going to die pretty soon. I'm going to start thinking about it. We are challenged to live for the Lord today because eternal life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you see, then life is totally different. Because then life is not just getting up in the morning and going through the motion. It's not in the way of Ecclesiastes, which comes to a conclusion, fear God and keep his commandments. No, eternal life is much richer because it is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is becoming a child of God. And all these blessings of God are ours today now. And all what God is about, because you see, what God is about is not to punish us. God is not here to sock it to us. But God is busy in this world reclaiming his world, his creation for his glory and for his honor and for the well-being of his people. God is interested in our salvation. He's interested in restoring us into relationship with him, with ourselves, with other people. And that has great consequences for how we live together as congregation, as community, how we live and work in the world. All these things we could talk about for a long time because those are the gifts of the Spirit. Those are the gifts that God gives to us in Jesus Christ as his people. But you see, that was the intent. That was the intent of God a long time ago. Let's go back to Genesis. As I mentioned earlier, as a kid, I thought, you know, that flaming sword that suggests power, and authority and God's anger but if you read the text very carefully 
Why is that angel there with the sword? It is to prevent us from eating of the tree of life. Now you say, why is that so significant? Because you see, the judgment had been pronounced that as soon as, soon as they would eat, they would die, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God prevents them from eating of that tree of life because if they had, Scripture says, they would have lived eternally in a state of sin. They would have lived forever in a state of sin beyond grace. Now you might say, well, I don't understand how it's put in. Well, Scripture tells us that God's way of giving us life is His way. It's a unique way, but it's the better way. And so He prevents Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life, lest they would be beyond salvation and beyond being salvaged spiritually. And so it is a word of grace, even already in the Garden of Eden, that word of grace, even though they had sinned and even they had been banished because they had to live with the consequences of sin, God announces to them, this is not the end of the story, but it's going to go on and on because I'm going to continue to reclaim my kingdom. I'm going to continue to build for myself a people that will serve me with joy and with gratitude. Eternal life begins today. Because it's not just a guarantee for the future. As I was making the sermon already, I was reading about all this stuff, and I came across this statistic that, and I find it hard to believe, that almost 20% of Christians believe in reincarnation. Even among Christians, there's still that hope. Something has to be meaningful to my life and my existence. Eternal life begins today because you have it. Today, not in the future. But by faith, we have it today. And as I mentioned, that makes all the difference in the world. But then it even goes on. And that's why we can skim through the whole Bible, because what is the last picture we see of the tree of life? It is in the city of God. It is in the city of God where there are trees on every side of that river, and there is no river running through Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, God pictures a picture of abundance. And the fruit on that tree can be picked 12 months of the year, because God is saying, you enjoy you can enjoy the fruits of my salvation. You can enjoy the fruits of my kingdom because it's there for your picking. It is there for your eating. It is there for your enjoyment. You see, the tree of life which we now have by faith and eternal life which we have by the word of God will complete itself in the new world in a total restoration of all things. Yes, and all our tears will be wiped away. Then all sin will be banished. And we will live forever in the presence of God. In the restored world, in the restored creation. That's the future. Not just a guarantee that the grave is not the end of us. That's just very elementary. 
But eternal life begins today because it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that starts today and continues into eternity. May that be our joy. May that be our security. May that be our anchor. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we hunger for meaning and purpose in our lives. We hunger and thirst for a sense of knowing who we are. And you announce to us that we have life eternal, a new life in you through the power of your spirit. May we by faith believe that. May we by faith accept it. May we by faith live out of that knowledge and that hope. Bless us then as new people, a new creation, looking forward to the totally new creation. In your name we pray. Amen.